And I'm very uh, grateful and honored to uh, be here. Uh, Joe and I'll probably talk a little bit more about this later, but this is the last one of these that we're going to be doing probably for a long time. Both of us, uh, in our own way, have been driven to, uh, I think, uh, a state of silence. So, uh, coincidentally, this is the twelfth one of these we've done together. So, uh, we feel uh, very honored and uh, blessed to be here. Uh, uh, and actually, we're both excited about some. Uh, typically, when we do these in our own way, we kind of put some restrictions on ourselves, and we're just going to download all of it to you. This, this um, bench is going to be wide open. <laughs> You're going to get our, uh, the best that we have to download. So, uh, I'm excited about that. I, I want to read a few lines out of uh, working with others. Uh, you know, about the only thing uh, Joe and I have ever done when uh, we get asked to do these is meditate before we come. That's the only preparation. Because all we're here to share with you is our experience, so I don't have to spend much time making notes about that, do I? But in that meditation, I was directed to a few sentences in working with others, which to me describe what I think will happen here. Um, so I just want to go over some of them with you. Life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you. To have a host of friends, this is an experience that you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Because of our own drinking experience, we can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. Probably going to talk about alcohol this weekend. To be helpful is our only aim. If you don't want to stop drinking, we're not going to waste time trying to persuade you. But we are going to ask you if you want to quit for good and if you go to any extreme to do so. If you say yes to that, we will draw your attention to the fact that we are recovered as a result of this process. If we're satisfied you're a real alcoholic, we're going to begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of this malady. We're going to continue to talk about alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady this weekend. And we're going to keep talking to you about the hopelessness of alcoholism because this book offers a solution. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice, unselfish, constructive action. We hope to disturb you about the question of alcoholism. This will be to your good. The more hopeless you feel, the better. Because then you're more likely to follow the suggestions in this book. We're here to lay out the kit of spiritual tools for your inspection, and we're going to show you how they have worked with us. We're going to ask you to read this book, and after doing that, you must decide for yourself whether or not you want to go on. If you're to find God, the desire must come from within. And that's all this program is is about, is a desire to find God, because lack of power becomes my dilemma. Typically, when Joe and I do these, we take a little bit of time just to... Uh, kind of clear off the things I think that, that stand between us and, and probably what's supposed to happen here. Mostly what I want to tell you a little bit about is, is where I am currently uh, in, this, in this process of seeking God and, and in the steps. And uh, I started the steps uh, again on uh, July 28th up in Breckenridge, Colorado. I was up at a convention. Every year I, I become willing to submit and surrender to the steps again. Because they take me to levels of consciousness I've had no experience with ever before. And so I started uh, step one up there. Uh, uh, I made a decision the next person that asked me to go through this process with them that I would uh, I would not go through that. I wouldn't take them through it. We'd go through it together. So we did that, and uh, I've had an interesting experience this time of 
of God being really in total charge of my experience with each step. And I, I got to experience step one for about a month. Damn near moved to Montana. Uh, I've been through this enough, though. Uh, I have done things like that before when I went through this work, and I didn't know what the hell was going on with me. And and uh, I ran. Uh, one time I, I left Denver and moved to Seattle, Washington. That cost me about forty grand, somewhere in there. <laughs> So uh, if you're going through and having experience with step one, I might suggest that you sit with it. But uh, this time I knew what was going on. That lasted about a month. And the second step, uh, once again, I had an a incredible experience with the second step. That also was about a month. The third step was about the same experience for me. Uh, and again, what I, has happened to me this time, unlike any other time, this is not a question of uh, sometimes in the past what I will do when I will go back through the steps is I'll pick a date to start a date to be done with amends, those kinds of things. But this time, uh, uh, my in going through the, the steps, uh, God is determining what happens to me in this whole experience. And it might have happened before. I just don't have any memory of it in my past experience. And uh, uh, I think that I've just recently completed uh, column one in my uh, four steps. So that's where I am currently with uh, going back through the uh, the steps again. Uh, because I believe what the big book says, that my hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience. Growth of a spiritual experience. Not living off the, the food I ate last year, let alone yesterday. Because I also believe what the big book says when it says I'm given a daily reprieve on fit spiritual condition. Now, I'm a runner. I, I run every day. If I ran two days a week, I don't think I'd be in very fit spiritual physical condition. My experience is the same as true in the spiritual life. If I want to maintain some fit spiritual condition, there's a series of actions I need to be taking every single day. So that's currently where I am with the steps. And when I go back through the steps, I do that from a position of the 10th and 11th step. Because I've entered the world of the spirit. And I will never leave the world of the spirit. I operate in the world in steps 10 and 11. And I use 10 and 11 to go back through the process of the steps again. It's my method of seeking. So that's currently where I am in this uh, in this process. Uh, somewhere around, probably about six or eight months ago, I began to meet a lot of resistance within myself when I was either asked to speak, whether it's 50 minutes. Uh, Joe and I had done, I think, one or two of these together, and I had some resistance within myself. Some of you I met in June. There was resistance within me. Uh, I recently, uh, the last one I did, I did a, a retreat in Brenham, Texas with 32 people, and there was a lot of resistance within me. But the definition of honest for me is say what you do and do what you say, and I've made commitments, so I showed up, and basically what had to happen is my spirit had to be involved with those. And at the end of them, I was absolutely uh, uh, physically, uh, for example, in New York, after Joe and I did the experience in New York, it took me well over a week to even begin to get centered up again. I had to do a lot of prayer, and I had to do a lot of meditation, and I had to do a lot of work. And one of the things the 10th step is about for me today is about being awake and, and listening. And, God, what are you trying to tell me? And the thing that became very evident to me is, is at least for quite some period of time, I'm to be still and know that he is God. And when you run around speaking and doing these kinds of things, you cannot do that. And I have my own opinion on that. I believe that in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, this is my opinion, People should only be allowed to speak for a short window of time and then not allowed to speak anymore. Because I certainly have experience with you cannot defeat the ego and you will attach to it. Uh, and if that can't go on within Alcoholics Anonymous, if we can't police that, then I believe it's our own responsibility to do that. And there was a lot of stuff that lined up for 97, and I basically have canceled all that 
It was most interesting watching how the world wants to pull you back in again. Oh, we've got to, you know, Joe and I, we were asked to speak down in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. A lot of our AA family will be there. and The world will try and pull you back time and time again when you begin to seek God. But uh, I just finally told people, you know, I'm here to conform to the will of God. And when he makes himself that apparent to me, I will listen to it. And the truth is, the day I made the decision to stop speaking and doing retreats and workshops, my spirit became so animated, it was absolutely incredible. And I, I am so excited about what the next, I know at least minimum all through 97, have to offer for me, because I know it's about a much deeper experience with uh, with this power. So, uh, I, and I'm also excited about doing this, because in, in, in my own way, my spirit knows that for quite some time I don't have to do this again. And uh, so that's... That's currently where I'm at in this uh, incredible process called Seeking God. And my method of that is in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, all three parts of this program. Mentioned briefly my home group. I belong to the Carry the Message group in Kerrville, Texas. It's a group that um, about four of us about four years ago started. You know, the big book says, Mark, if you don't have the fellowship you crave, go create it. So we did, and uh, we now have uh, four meetings a week. And, uh, you know, Kerrville's a very small town, uh, 18,000 people. And Wednesday night there were 56 people at our closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And members of that group show up with a big book. And our format is that uh, their closed meetings, two of them are. One's a beginner. One of them is uh, carry a meeting to a treatment center. And uh, the format is that uh, if I'm the chairperson for the month and I ask you to bring a discussion, I'll ask you a week ahead of time. I'll ask you to take it into prayer and meditation. What would God have you bring to our meeting for his children who are going to be at the meeting? And then we have a bell, and so the longest anyone speaks is five minutes. Go over five minutes, we ring the bell on you. We're not interested in your past experience with the topic. We're interested with your current experience. So the group keeps growing and growing and growing, and uh, the people, the men and women in that group stay sober, and it's uh, absolutely wonderful. There was, was a meeting on the 10th step on Wednesday, and I heard things I've never heard before. It just blew my mind. Uh, from various links of sobriety, and uh, I, I feel very proud to be a member of, of that group. You know, I'm a drunk sitting in that group, and it's an absolutely wonderful thing for me to experience. In a, so don't ever sit and tell me you're in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and, you know, if you if you come up to me and say, oh, you know, there no meetings here, I like me, blah, 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 blah. Well, I can tell you from my own experience that this book is, means exactly what it says. If you can't find meetings that feed your spirit, then create the fellowship that you crave book says you've recovered and been given the power to help others. This is about God. You know, you can create the fellowship you crave. That becomes important to me. I need to feed my spirit. You know, one of the great things, Joe and I don't get to see each other that much, but when I get around Joe, my spirit gets real animated. When I get around men and women who are seeking God through a series of actions, not lip flap and bullshit, my spirit gets real animated. So those are the people I hang with. I learned the hard way your environment has more power than what you can bring to bear on it. I don't go to middle-of-the-road solution meetings for any length of time. Because trust me, it, they will have an impact on you whether you believe that or not. Your environment has power over you. So that's a little bit about where uh, where I'm at right now, currently uh, in my life. For those of you who know me for a while, I'm still single. I've been for a year. That's amazing. <laughs> thought I'd say that before Joe did. Uh <laughs> But I, uh, he gets married a lot. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully in inventory I'll show you how you break free of attachments. I, hopefully the husband's died away. Of course the son of a bitch could be overdoing push-ups too, waiting to come back into existence again, but, uh, 
we do inventory. We're going to do some stuff which probably won't go on tape called Dear the Lie that uh, uh, we, we like to have a lot of fun with. It may show some of you uh, some things about inventory that maybe you haven't seen before. But, uh, you know, and, and all the time I, I, I've been around the program, uh, my sense is, at least when I look at this year, that, that I've been more at peace with Mark inside on a daily basis, hourly basis. And it seems to have manifested itself in my life in many, many, many ways more comfortable with being Mark than I've ever been. And uh, that, for me, is a, a wonder, wonderful thing. So, uh, anyhow, that's where I'm at. And, again, I, I'm so grateful to be here. You know, this program is about a way of living. I shared this last night. You know, I got up at 4.30 in the morning, which I do Monday through Friday. I get my feet on the floor. I don't talk about seeking God. I get my damn feet on the floor. And I spend some time in prayer and meditation, and then uh, I run, and run has become prayer for me. It's not running, it's prayer, and when I got done with that, I uh, drove to San Antonio, and I hopped a plane, and I landed in Atlanta, and then I landed here, and then I'm sitting up in a hotel room, and then the ocean's beckoning to me and meditating, and then I went to a meeting, and seeing Joe again, and seeing Melba, Melba flew in from uh, from McAllen, Texas, and seeing a bunch of you that I'd seen before. You know, i tell you something, on my own power, drunk or sober, I don't have any power to do any of that. Hell, three months ago, I, you know, I'd heard of Virginia Beach, Virginia, because I sponsored a couple guys in the Navy, and it came up in their inventory. I, I had no plans on being here. You know, my life is so exciting when 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 I'm aligned with the will of God, because I don't have a clue what the hell is going to happen tomorrow, let alone tonight. And that's a wonderful thing. The more out of control the whole thing is, the more mystical and exciting that it is to me. So I'm excited to be here. I'm excited about spending some time with Joe. Excited about seeing some of you again that I've that I've come to know. Joe and I are having a similar experience. It seems like the longer I see God, my capacity to love you all gets taken to a level that uh, uh, consistently just amazes me. And more often than not, when I spend time with people, it becomes in its own way something that becomes holy and sacred. And uh, so, anyhow, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm grateful to spend this weekend with you. I again will encourage you in a couple areas. Uh, some stuff is going to come up and some of you are going to get pissed off and angry and you're going to think it's about us. And your ego is going to do many, many things with you this weekend. And I ask all of you that when that happens, don't run from any of it. You know, Joe and I don't have any power to make anybody mad. All that happens is that some things will get mentioned that will bring up things that are within you that you need to look at. And I'll encourage you to sit with that and to not run from that. We discovered if we talk a little bit on the front end about what's going to happen with some of you, <clears throat> that you'll have a tendency to be able to sit and go through the experience. And the last thing I'll, I'll share uh, before I turn it over to Joe is I also would strongly suggest those of you who are here this weekend to spend some time in reflection after you leave here and not share this experience. There's something about when God gives us a task to do. Like in the next year, I know three very specific tasks that God would have me do, and I will not share those with you. I will share them with you when I'm the other side of the experience. Because I've been in the middle of experiences and shared them and begin to have the power taken away. So I would ask all of you after this weekend to sit for a period of time until such point in time as your spirit says it's okay to share what's going to happen with you here this weekend. To sit with it. Whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable. I mean, this whole, the spiritual life, I read a quote the other day from Father Keating, which I loved. It said, the one thing that you can be absolutely sure of in the spiritual life is that what you think is going to happen will never happen. 
And that is my experience in the spiritual life. So maybe the truth is that if you get incredibly uncomfortable this weekend, maybe that's absolutely one of the best things that could ever happen to you. And maybe if you get real disturbed about alcoholism, maybe that's the best thing that could ever happen. And maybe if you came here real comfortable and get real uncomfortable, that's a real neat thing. And maybe if you came here real uncomfortable and got comfortable, maybe that's the way that's supposed to be too. So anyhow, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be sharing some time with you all. Thanks. I'm Joe. I'm an alcoholic. It's good to be here. So there's no misunderstanding. Neither of us are leaving AA. Anybody here that's ever had a service commitment in the general service structure knows that just about the time you get good at it, they make you do something else. And uh, both of us have come to an experience. Um, uh, I don't even know how to describe the experience. I, I'm in the middle of something that I don't have any control over, which leads me to wonder, uh, wh when did I? <laughs> Since a certain decision was made uh, to give that, you know, how I'd like it to go and how I'd like it to be. And, see, because I'd like to go on with the experience I'm currently in the middle of where I'm just like sitting back and I'm watching these things happen and realizing that that's been going on for a long time. And um, uh, uh, realizing for how long I mouthed the words that I had given my will to God and I hadn't. And I was just mouthing the words and it was still my plan, my way, my will. And I'm in the middle of experience, 14 years sober, uh, having been doing this work and seeking God for a long time, that um, I hope I can talk about this weekend. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but neither of us are leaving AA, and we'll probably continue talking out to alcoholics. And um, this kind of stuff is just something that neither of us need to be doing now for a while, at least one year. Um, I think if more speakers did that, then um, they would give other people a chance to grow, and um, a lot of them don't. I met some speakers. Some of my disillusionment, um, my place is in my living room one-on-one -on -one with alcoholics and a home group. Now, I don't know where that home group's going to be um, uh, in the, uh, after the beginning of the year. Um, Matter of fact, I spoke to a lady the other day. I was in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous out in a suburb of uh, Los Angeles in the middle of this experience that's going on where I'm being moved again. Uh, ten years ago, I was moved from a very comfortable place in Denver with my sponsor down the street and working with people and a uh, commitment on the area committee, H&I chairman for the state of Colorado, and uh, working with others. And I was very comfortable with a good income and financially secure, and uh, in the middle of a set of amends, uh, finishing those amends, I was moved to Santa Monica for reasons that I didn't even begin to understand. Uh, I don't know if I still understand all the ramifications of why I was moved to Santa Monica, but I know it, it really helped me. And I um, wasn't awake to it as I am now. And I'm in the middle of an experience now where... Um, hmm, the other day I was in a meeting in Pacoima, which is a suburb of Los Angeles, and I opened the grapevine. Of course, this month's grapevine talks about AA around the world, because, see, AA is not a place, and AA is not something you go to, at least for me anymore. AA used to be really small, and it was this little group that I, until I stood in one of those stadiums, 
three years sober in 1985 in Montreal with set, uh, 50,000 alcoholics from all over the world, and AA blew open for me. That also happened for me the night that my sponsor shared with me the circle and triangle, and I saw a program with three parts, and I wasn't in it. I was not in AA, and I didn't know that until somebody shared all three legacies with me. And in this meeting the other night, I opened to a page um, in the back of the Great Well, The first page I opened to was an article by a man from India, and um, uh, I, I want to meet him. And the next page I turned to, just by chance, I was drawn to this letter, and it was from a girl. She said, hi, my name's Carrie, and I'm an alcoholic, and I got sober in Denver, Colorado in 1982, blah, 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 and I'm the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous in Kathmandu, Nepal, and we have three meetings a week, and there's 30 of us. And uh, the next day I was on the phone with her. She works in the U.S. Embassy in Kathmandu, and uh, I'm going to meet her. And... Uh, um, I'm in the middle of an experience that I don't have any control over, which leads me to believe that the times I've thought that I have since making the third step decision, I really haven't. Um, there's a few things I've been experiencing lately that um, I want to talk about and get off my mind and begin to uh, see, because this, uh, uh, if anybody's here to study the big book, you're wasting your time. Studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is a waste of time unless it gets you excited about doing what's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a story about that my grand sponsor told me once about a guy calls his sponsor and he says, I read the book and I drank. And every every other week, I read the book and I drank. And the sponsor says, well, um, he gets tired of hearing that. He says, go get a cookbook. The guy comes back on the phone. He says, now turn to the page that says how to make a chocolate cake. And he says, okay. He said, now read it. He said, okay. Now he said, now read it. He said, okay. He said, now read it. He said, okay. Now memorize it. And he gets it memorized. And he says, now did you read it? Yeah. Did you memorize it? Yeah. He said, now cut me a piece. <laughs> this is not a book to read. This is a set of instructions to have a spiritual awakening as a result of those instructions. That's what it's been for me. And it's been a, a miraculous experience every time I've submitted myself to it. If you can't tell already, Mark and I have not been taught by people who sell the program short and tell you that you work the first nine steps once and live the rest of your life in steps 10, 11, and 12 because none of our founders nor anything I've ever read, if you have, you can, you're, you, I'd love for you to show me, did any of our founders or anybody in AA that has anything that I want ever sell the program short? I mean, even the 12 steps says to practice these principles in all your affairs. And um, I'll tell you a little bit about our line, of, our line of sponsorship. And I think if you're new, it's important to know your lineage because you got to know in AA there's a lot of families and there's a lot of schools of thought. And the sad part about AA nowadays is when they used to say, and it used to bother me, there's as many ways to work the program as there are people in it. The sad thing nowadays is it's true. And to do what's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous has now come to a place where it's something you have to choose. And it's something you have to choose based on your own truth. And I'd like to look at that truth in a minute of why would you even need to do what's in this big book. Um, our line of sponsorship starts with, um, and we got sober in the same town in Denver, 1982, um, about um, 60 days apart. 
Uh, we both went to the same treatment center. I was well on my way into a recovered state by the time he came along. <laughs> I've been reminding of him of that on a regular basis ever since. Um, and the only time I ever got in trouble is when he wasn't my spiritual advisor. <laughs> he ended up in the nut house nine years sober because I hadn't worked with him that year. <laughs> Just kidding. We had the same sponsor, um, and we lived in the same house for two years in Denver before I moved to California and he moved to uh, Texas by way of several other places and a lot of money and a couple of wives. And, um, um, I've never been married. He's been married several times, and we're both exactly the same. We're not different. Um Our sponsor is a man named Don P. from Denver, Colorado, who got sober in the Colorado State Penitentiary 30 years ago. He's been doing the work since week one in it. He got sober in a group in the penitentiary where you had to go through the steps before you could go to their regular meeting, the New Life Recovery Group in Canyon City, Colorado State Penitentiary. He now works for the Department of Corrections. You can't get from his cell to working for the Department of Corrections on your own power. His last boss in North Carolina went from an inmate to a warden, Tom I. Mm -hmm. Now Don's back home in Denver. His sponsor is a man named Gary Brown from Indianapolis, Indiana, 35 years sober, been doing the work 35 years, very humble, very simple man. He has what I want. I'm not willing to go to Indianapolis to get it, but he has what I want. Just kidding. Um, uh, his sponsor, and Gary's been doing it 35 years. Gary's sponsor is a man named uh, Paul Martin in Chicago, Illinois, with 50 years, been doing this work 50 years. Uh, one of the most exciting men I've ever met in my life, let alone in Alcoholics Anonymous. Their group in Chicago, they do four, they do one through nine at the drop of a hat. They keep current inventory just for people that come in from out of town. They do unbelievable stuff. Those are the ones that are alive. His, his sponsor was uh, Paul Stanley, the first member of AA in Chicago who was uh, brought in by Dr. Bob, who was brought in by our founder, our other founder, uh, Bill Wilson. And I'm proud to be a part of that family. And in the middle of that family, you don't see a lot of people drink. You see people drink that stop doing this work that's necessary to stay in a recovered state to enjoy the fellowship and be of service. We get it all backwards nowadays. We think they're supposed to start enjoying life and feeling better and loving the fellowship before they do what's necessary to recover to enjoy those things and be of service. Back when this book was right, in the percentage that stayed sober, you know where they stay in here? 50% got sober, another 25% soon after. That's a 75% recovery rate they used to bring you to recovery before they brought you to your first meeting. You used to go through the first eight steps before you were allowed some, like they describe in here, they'd go through the first eight steps in a few hours before they even left Dr. Bob's office, before you came to the fellowship. They cared more about the fellowship then than we do now, a lot more. We just saw, oh, bring him to a meeting. I'll tell you a story about that later, about my trip to Jamaica, where I learned about common welfare coming first in a town where there's only one group, from a town where there's 2,000. I was going to tell them about common welfare. I didn't know a thing about common welfare. I think it needs to be mentioned that there's a big difference between anybody who's here to get some more knowledge, 
so you can go back to where you come from and sound better or cram it down their throats because you can quote the big book. That kind of knowledge and having some real experience right now, right here this weekend. Because we're not here to transmit knowledge or information. We're not here to share about how to mark your book just right or get it down or memorize it or be able to recite it. We're here in the hopes that some of you, if you're willing to use a prayer in your own words in your own way tonight, soon, in a few minutes, Mark's going to take us through this prayer. Tonight before you go to bed, tomorrow morning when you get up, tomorrow morning before we start, anytime you're awake to doing this prayer in your own words, in your own way, I think this prayer can open each of us up in our own way, and not only can there be an experience at the group level that you will begin to feel as we come close to the end of this first step, and you will feel it shift as we move into step two, you'll be able to have your own personal experience with the first step if you're willing to get past the knowledge you currently have. Because, see, if each, in our own, if each of us in our own way would like to have an open mind and a new experience, then our knowledge, everything up to yesterday, goes from our greatest asset to our greatest liability. Now, what do I mean by that? If I want to have a new experience with the steps, and you ask me what's my greatest asset, my greatest asset up to today is my knowledge of my experience and my ability to share it. Now, if I want to have a new experience and get past where I am to a new dimension of peace and freedom and existence, then my knowledge now turns 180 degrees and it's my, wor it's my worst enemy. Matter of fact, it's the only thing between me and getting past where I am. So we're going to talk about that prayer and we're going to talk a lot about the difference between knowledge and experience. If you're here for knowledge, just the questions that are going to be raised will create in you an experience that will drive you out of the room if God doesn't have more power than your ego. But that's the whole bet here, isn't it? A guy asked me at lunch today, does booze have as much power as God? And I said, boy, I've been betting for 14 years that it doesn't. <laughs> I'm here because God has more power than booze. But that wasn't the way it was for 18 years. How does that shift? We have to get back. I have to get back. Every alcoholic and every Al-Anon in this room has to get back to their own first step to see once again why they need God. So comfort, comfort, four, uh, ten years ago in Denver, Colorado, when I was moved to Santa Monica, if I would have settled for comfort, I would have stayed where I was comfortable. And I was willing to move past my comfort zone. Mark was talking that term way before I understood what it was. Be willing to move past your comfort zone, the rut that you're currently stuck in, based on a belief system that leads you to do things you're not even awake to, past the comfort zone to levels of peace and freedom. See, you know when you're new and they tell you the truth will set you free? They always leave out, but first it will really piss you off. <laughs> they always leave that out, right? So once again, in the middle of this experience that started for me a few weeks ago in Australia, see, um, last week I was home. The week before that I was in Muscatine, Iowa. The week before that I was in Sydney, Australia. So when I got to Muscatine, Iowa, I said, you can't get from Sydney, Australia to Muscatine, Iowa on your own power. And having some power now in my life, I had to wonder, why would you even want to, right? <laughs> 
I'd like to be in Sydney, Australia tonight than Virginia Beach, Virginia. But because of a way that I've chosen to live, I had to be here, but I can't get, I can't even get from Santa Monica to Virginia Beach. I can't even get from the hotel over there over to here on my own power on time when I said several months ago. I can't live like that. See, I believe if you got here and your, your problem was powerlessness over alcohol with an unmanageable life, and you say you've experienced the solution here, you should have power over alcohol and manageability in your life, or something's terribly wrong, right? Now, I need to know where that power over alcohol and the power to manage my life comes from. That's where I get in trouble. That's why I need to sit and return home and get centered and be still and pray, because I forget where the power over alcohol and the power to manage my life comes from, and I start to take the credit. A couple more things. Um, um, care, I'd like to look at two words, care and hope. And I'd like to talk about a kind of care that's taken a lot of work to get to, realized, and that I can't get myself from how I used to care to how I care today. I believe this. If you care about other alcoholics, maybe for the first time in your life you care about somebody else, there, and you want to be effective in your life, in all that you do, and especially with alcoholics, there are certain things that you must care about, and there are certain things that if you care about, you will not be effective. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say there were just two of you in this room that I was trying to share with, and I cared about how you felt about what I might have to say. I will, within a few minutes, go absolutely crazy because with just two of you in the room, let alone 80, with just two of you, within 15 minutes, you're going to feel, and if you're alcoholic, and these questions start to be asked, you're going to feel every emotion there is, and in 10, 15 minutes, you're going to feel the opposite of everything you were feeling 15 minutes ago. And if I'm concerned with how you feel about what I have to say, I will be of absolutely no use because I will be consumed with not how you feel. It will be an ulterior motive because I don't want to get uncomfortable. So under the guise that I care about how other alcoholics feel, I was fooling myself. That doesn't mean I don't care about you. I care about you in a way that transgresses, that transcends emotion. I care about whether alcoholics live or die. And I have been able to watch that in my life manifest itself with the power of God in my life. That's real care. You cannot care about what any alcoholic you ever share with does with what you share with them, or you will go absolutely crazy. I've worked with a lot of alcoholics, and some of them have done some really strange stuff. But how, how do I know? I believe God's working in my life. I don't believe God's working in their life. I trust my intuition, but I don't trust your intuition. They've done the same work I have. I must believe that God's working in their life. I cannot care about what they do with what I'm going to share with them, or I will go crazy. And I came to this one night when I was sitting at home, and I made the mistake of looking at a grapevine, which is usually a mistake. Sometimes it's right on, but I made the mistake of looking in the back of the grapevine, you know, where they list all the conferences in the next two months. And I started thinking about where I wasn't going to be speaking. <laughs> and I realized that that was a great game my ego was playing with me to not be centered and focused where I was going to speak that night. 
And by the time this went on for about, you know, anything goes on in my mind for more than 10 or 15 minutes, I take it from a hangnail to, to bone cancer, right? So within 10 or 15 minutes, I was then thinking about all the people in Los Angeles that were not asking me to work with them. And all the places in Los Angeles that I wasn't being asked to speak, and all the people in Los Angeles that don't like me, and where I wasn't being asked to speak around the country and the world and all this, and I was just totally consumed within about five or ten minutes. Because I started to care about something that you absolutely can't care about and be affected in the moment where you are. And one of those things is how any of you feel about what either of us might bring up this weekend because we can't make you feel uncomfortable. I belong to a group that has a pretty interesting format, which I'll tell you about later this weekend. And uh, we've gotten so compulsive, there's three different formats a month, but that's, that's <laughs> our problem. But in each of those formats, anybody can ask anybody anything they want. It's not so much crosstalk, back and forth, back and forth. It's more like questions. And a lot of people will come there and they'll say, this meeting makes me really uncomfortable. And someone will say, then what do you mean? Your troubles, your emotional troubles, your, your uncomfortability is of this meeting's making? And they'll think about it, and then somebody else will say, is it possible? And in my home group, if they say, is it possible, you're screwed. You might as well just crawl right on. They'll say, is it possible that nobody, anything anybody has ever said in this meeting makes you uncomfortable, but the things that are said here bring up things in you that are already there that feel really uncomfortable? Because you could say the same thing to ten different guys. Nine of them are in a fifth spiritual condition, and they don't react, and they don't get uncomfortable. They are at peace, and they have nothing to defend. And the, nine, the tenth one gets really uncomfortable on the same question that didn't make nine other people uncomfortable. So there's nothing that, that Mark and I are going to bring up that's going to make you anything. But I do believe this. I believe he and I have developed techniques working with alcoholics in our living room and doing this kind of thing where those that stay and are willing to pray, we can bring you to what you're currently up against that you might not even be awake to. No matter what step you're in, I believe that these questions, not that Mark and I can do it, I believe the questions that the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous are going to raise will bring you to whatever you're currently up against in whatever step you're in. Might even show you like it did me the first time. You're you're uh, suffering from a part of the disease you don't even know you have in a program you're not even in. We did one of these one time and went to lunch on Saturday morning after we had been in step one all Friday and all Saturday morning. Went to went to lunch with about ten women, which I really liked. <laughs> and about 15 minutes into the lunch, all of them were in tears. <laughs> he did that again today at lunch with Melba. <laughs> <laughs> right? And it wasn't anything I did to her. The other thing I wanted to talk about, this kind of care, this kind of care that you have to have to be effective with alcoholics. You have to care more about whether they live or die than how their uncomfortability is going to make you feel. Or whether you can't care whether they're going to like you or not. Don't ever start sponsoring people to make friends. You'll either be their friend or you'll be their sponsor. Our great-grand sponsor, Paul Martin in Chicago, always says about a therapist, when you get a therapist, you're buying a good friend. I understand that, having been a therapist, drunk and sober, till it damn near killed me, drunk, and sober. Um, and I don't look for people to sponsor that want to be friends. Once in a while, here and there, I have become friends with people I sponsor. 
Not always. And if I cared about that, I would become ineffective. What they're going to do with it, how they might feel about anything I have to say, because I've been brought to a place where I care whether they live or die, and I've also been brought to a place to know that I can't pull off either one. I can't pull off whether I live or die. How can I pull off whether they live or die? The other thing I wanted to talk about is real hope for an alcoholic and false hope for an alcoholic. Now, you know those people out there, some of you have gone to church with one of them. Some of you have drank with some of them. Some of you are married to some of them. You know those people. Those people that can have a drink and a half. And across a crowded restaurant, 350 feet away from their table, it's not the drink that bothers you that they have. It's the half that they leave. You're sitting there at dinner with somebody you really love, and you cannot get your eye off that fucking half a drink they left at that table over there. You know those people. The people that we don't understand, nor do they understand us. They're the ones that say to us, can't you just outgrow this thing you're going through? My brother used to say that to me. Oh, it's just a phase. He'll outgrow it. I tell you, I could... 20-year phase, right? 